0: Hello friends. It is midweek and it is between two Sundays. And so this is between two Sundays. Mark Bereswood, good <laughs> afternoon to you. How are you, Mark? <laughs> My brain's mush. I was telling Mark <laughs> that just before we hit the record button. So if I make absolutely no sense today, um that's why.
1: With a bit of luck, I would.
0: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> This the show hinges on you today, Veris. Oh, that,
1: you know, it's too much pressure.
0: <laughs> today, uh, well, every week, we sit between two Sundays, we reflect on the readings from the Sunday before, and we chew on the readings of the Sunday to come. Last week was the fifth Sunday in a well after Epiphany. And um, Mark, what was the thing that would not let you go?
1: Yeah. So it was, well, you had a lot to say about this last week, but it was this, you have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ from the end mm. of the 1 Corinthians reading. Um, partly partly around the stuff that I've been thinking of. I've been listening to a book by um, Peter Enns, um, who is just wonderful. He's brilliant. Just the type of person I'm going to listen to everything he's got and then have to find someone else. Um, but I'm really enjoying this um, in, insistence that the scripture is leading us into a space of um, of spirit and wisdom, um, and, and that is incarnational. So um, the book I'm listening to at the moment, he's arguing that scripture is incarnational, so it's human and it's divine, um, which I'm really enjoying, um, and, and that's... Helping me make a lot of sense of this. But um, what if what if this uh, well, I think maybe this is really core to Paul's message um, is that we have the mind of Christ. So he is he is able to kind of speak into the communities and speak wisdom into their world. Um, help them understand what this spirit of wisdom. Um, might be asking of us in light of the gospel, and, and what he's not doing is presenting a second law, or this, um, you know, this, you know, an, just an alternative to Moses' commandment, another commandment. Um, but actually, the mind of Christ that will be situational, will be contextual, will be gracious, um, and, and asking us to be people following this rather than some kind of legalistic interpretation, even of the New Testament. It's quite possible to to actually have a legalistic interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount, as we're reading through at the moment. Yeah, Um, but, But what if this is actually setting us free to be a people who hear from God and without a sense of legalism actually learn the new rhythms of Christ? Um, we have the mind of Christ is the most extraordinary claim, Um, especially um, in Corinthians. For this to sit in the middle of Corinthians, this is not a church that gets it right all the time. This is a church that Paul seems to have a lot of things to guide them into. Yet here is this claim in the middle of it that um, we have the mind of Christ. Um, And I wonder what, I wonder what embracing that would really look like. Um, I don't know if I've even met anyone who embraces that in all its fullness. I don't know if I'd even recognize it if I saw it. But um, what might that look like? Um, do we see that in Paul? Do we see someone in Paul who's just, who's kind of still learning this? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. But gee, it's, uh, It's such a wonderful little phrase, um, a little dare, try and live like this.
0: Mm. Yeah. uh, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but Jim Marion uh, Mm -hmm. wrote a book called Putting on the Mind of Christ, and it's heavy going, but, boy, it's an interesting look at what it truly means to put on the mind of Christ and live out of that. Incredibly powerful. Um, Interestingly enough, uh I sat with something that you had a lot to say. Oh, that's a nice thought. Last week, <laughs> Um where you were talking about the fast in Isaiah 58. Uh, and the, yes. thing that, the thing that stuck for me was that the, the essence of it seemed to be to you that they were fasting from religion mm. uh, oh, yes. or fasting from religious that. ritual. And I, yeah. I thought that was wonderful. And I sat with that. Um, and it's interesting that the place I got to, was that the reason why they had to fast from religious ritual, which then freed them up to do this justice stuff, um, the sharing their bread and and so on, Mm. is because that's the religious ritual God wants.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: They literally had to to leave that other stuff behind so they could do this other stuff and hopefully along the way realise, oh, so this is what God wanted all along, which is funny (laughs) because... You know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, um, just to name four uh, prophets who consistently said over the course of their ministry, um, God actually doesn't care about the sacrifices and all this Mm. other stuff. God Mm. wants justice, mercy, love. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was (laughs) an interesting place to come to. Fast from it and realize you actually don't need it because this is the thing
1: yes
0: sharing your bread looking after the homeless covering the naked and so on that's the thing that is the religious ritual that is what you're binding together with Mm. god religion um religare um that's what it's about Mm. um more than anything else so I i thought that was great
1: yeah i think this is kind of the nature of fasting to me um if you fast from food, you learn that actually, um, I'm not as dependent on this as I thought. Yes. Um, and and, and I wonder if that's what, what if that's going on in th- that Isaiah passage that we read last week. Um, hmm. Fast from these rituals, and you realize might find you don't that them. you're not as dependent on them as you realize, as
0: yeah. you
1: as you feel you are. Yeah. Good thought. So well, this, is, this sits behind the 40-hour famine. You, you know, it, you and I have both worked in schools. Plenty of reasons not to have a food fast in schools where people have, um, you know, eating issues already in far too many cases. Mm. Um, so they've invited people to fast from, you know, media and phones, phones yeah. and all of those kind of things, uh, beds even. And the realization is actually, I'm not as dependent on these things as I think I am, and there is a freedom without that dependence. Yeah. So it's, it's Except a good for the students who fastings. quite good, actually.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, except for the students who chose one year that they were going to fast from schoolwork. But anyway, uh, they didn't no, quite that's... get away with it. Didn't quite. <laughs> I could fast from work. So they fasted from furniture instead, which was a struggle right. anyway. They might as well have fasted from schoolwork after that one. <laughs> Sixth Sunday after the Epiphany is coming up this weekend and the readings are Deuteronomy 30, chapter, I'm oh, sorry, chapter 30, verses 15 to 20, Psalm 119, verses 1 to 8, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 9, and Matthew, the, chapter 5, verses 21 to 37, all of the a uh, list of those are down in the show notes if you're watching on YouTube or in the show notes if you are listening on one of the podcast hosts of choice. Um, and the links there might even take you to the Vanderbilt Library uh, where the lectionary is, along with a whole bunch of other resources that uh, you can access from the Vanderbilt Library, which will um, it might even just enhance your own personal study to reflect on some of the art and other things that you can find there. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, do we have an order?
1: Uh, look, I didn't give much thought to that, actually, Mike. No. Deuteronomy. Did you?
0: No. Deuteronomy it is. Deuteronomy it is. Where you go? <laughs> <laughs> I picked you. Start.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, I, I just, I just love this image of um, the direction God is leading. These people, and this is even even in Deuteronomy. So this is, um, you know, this is very much the law based world. So this is Moses recounting the law again. Um, interestingly enough, I was listening to something yesterday that was suggesting there are differences between um, Moses recounting the law in Deuteronomy and back in. Um, Exodus, where he, where he, um, you know, the Ten Commandments come down, and, and these laws begin to develop. Um, and the argument was actually there's development within the law, so it's not as set in stone as we tend to think. Um, that that it seems that there's this human element of reasoning that has, over time, led Moses into a space where he's is recounting is actually different to his original um, coming down off Mount Sinai and um, giving the law there. Um, And the argument was, uh, is this this evidence that that there's wisdom sitting within the law? And as soon as I say that, you know who I was listening to, don't you? (laughs) Peter ends. Um, but I really, I really liked that thought. Um, and what he was arguing is that scripture is incarnational. Um, so scripture is both this interaction between what it is to be human and what it is to be divine. Um, so I found that I found that really intriguing. But but here in Deuteronomy, I think we find um, w- wonderfully the direction of it all. Um, and this is. And the direction is articulated as life and prosperity. Mm. Um, uh, so, so this this freedom to choose by all means, but this invitation to uh, this this clear articulation that if you follow the ways of the one in whose image you are created, um, the outcome will be life and prosperity. Um, so, there's this uh, there's this. Choose your way. Um, But God's goal here is life. Mm. Um, It's the fullness of what it looks like to follow after God. So often we just don't think this way. We think God is crushing life. We think this, you know, religion is is doing damage to our joy and our happiness, which is precisely what our psalm says today as well. Um, looks at you know the one who is happy is actually the one who's living in ultimately the integrity not so much not just the integrity of god but the integrity of ourselves we're, we're living consistently with the way we have been made the one in whose image we've been made Um, So I really liked this Deuteronomy reading and and I find it really helpful to to remind myself of the simple things. And here is one of the simple things. God is on the side of life and prosperity. That might not look like financial prosperity, but God is trying to make us thrive, not just exist and and not opposed to that. I think that's a really important reminder for us, especially in a, in a time when religion has gone so insane, as far as I can see, that there's where, where there's fundamentalism taking over all the world religions, um, including Christianity. Um, there just seems to be something very wise in saying, reminding ourselves that God is on the side of life.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I mean, the core, I think the core of the gospel uh, is twofold. Love God and love your neighbour. Yep. And the flip side of that is you shall have life and have it in abundance. Yes. And someone asked a really interesting question on Twitter yesterday and said, um, why do you think that uh, there are certain parts of the church, um, particularly those who espouse a lot of prosperity, who talk about seeing the brighter side and things will get better and all this other stuff. Um, And I simply responded by saying because they don't understand what Jesus said when Jesus said you will have life and life in abundance. Mm -hmm. Because I believe what Jesus said when you will have life and life in abundance is you will experience the fullness of life. That word life in abundance also means to the full. Yeah. And fullness of life includes pain. It includes sadness. Yes. It includes grief. It includes uh, struggle. And, you know, not wanting to sound, um, you know, like a sadist when I say this, but um, we are to experience the joys of all the fullness of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is something about working really hard and being sore for days, but creating Mm -hmm. a garden uh, as a result of that, or creating something that you create. this is the fullness of life, and so I think this idea of choosing life is mm. core to the good news. Um, and I think it's the prosperity people who have ruined that, because anything that doesn't look like blessing, like we were talking mm. about last week, and as you know, we'll see in the psalm shortly, um, anything outside of that is obviously not of God. No, fullness of life means embracing every gamut of emotion and feeling that God has given us. And the, the thing about this passage is it speaks to that because it talks about this, you talked about this, you know, walking in the ways of God. Um, my favourite, one of my favourite words is congruence. We mm. walk in congruence with the way we were created to live. And the reason why we're out of kilter with stuff is because we're living out of congruence with the way that we were created to live. We've chosen to live a different way and we've grown up in a world that's pushed this way of living congruent to how we're created to. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of choosing life Mm -hmm. is about choosing um, the ways that God has created us to live. And in choosing that life, we literally find ourselves in a place where we are living congruent with the way we're supposed to live. And yeah. for all intents and purposes, life gets so much easier. Not in the sense mm-hmm. that it becomes a breeze, but it becomes understandable. That when things happen, we we don't we aren't so surprised by them. We can see them as they are, and just continue to move forward. So mm-hmm. this um, verse, you know, sixteen, which you alluded to, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, this is all about these people being told come into congruence with the way that you were created to be. Now, it's, it's understandable why these guys are out of kilter, because these are a generation and then a sub-generation, then a sub-generation, and maybe another one after that, if there's that many generations walking out there, that have grown up literally and lived in a culture for the last 400 years where the ways of God were not the ways of the culture. They were completely different. Mm-hmm. They've experienced um, an aggressive and, um, for the last part of their time there, quite oppressive regime, and they've had to learn how to struggle and survive in that. They came from a place where it was make more and produce, uh, otherwise we're going to get kicked to the curb. Yeah. Um so you can understand, and this is just a, an example, for instance, when they're told take one day a week off, have a Sabbath day and keep it holy, yeah, they go, how? What? How? And so there's this already, this is the ways of God, but they're struggling to fall into that. And so yes. just, just before this passage, um, uh, there's a comment from Moses about, God's word not being hard and not being remote. Uh, It talks about God's word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart for you to observe. In other words, it's already there. And because of what we've been talking about, you guessed it, it's already there because they're made in the image of God. So now start to learn to walk in that. Let go of the stuff that was happening in Egypt and start to move into that. And when you do, you'll discover what it means to truly live. This mm. is not oppressive. Is it hard? Yes, it is, but only because you've spent the last four or five generations doing something completely different. But when you do this, you will find the life that you crave. Yeah. As simple as that.
1: Gee, you've got, um, you've got God's word incarnate there as well, haven't you? Um, yeah. The word of God living in us.
0: That's exactly um, right.
1: Setting us free. There's um I, I found a really helpful grid at times um, to understand the Ten Commandments and, and see the direction um, of the Mosaic law. Um very close to what you were saying there. Um I, I think you know, by the time you've got 450 odd years of enslavement, um you've literally got no one alive who knows what it's like to live live in freedom. Yep. And so God leads these people out of Egypt, and they actually, there's there's no one there. There's no one there who can say this is what it's like. Um, and, and so I think the the Ten Commandments, the laws of Moses, I think these are really saying, let me show you how to live in freedom. Yes. You need to you need to learn this because there's no one in this nation who knows Absolutely. or who's experienced. There might there might be memory, but even that memory is such a distant past um, that this is uh, and it's and it's unexpected, isn't it? It doesn't look like at least the way we talk about freedom. We talk about freedom as meaning I can do whatever I want. But God is talking about freedom here. Is freedom is um, freedom is being who you are, who yeah. you were created to be. It's um, and and it is it is living in God. That's where we find freedom. Um, so I think that, I think that's what all this is doing. And and here we have this reminder of the direction of it all. Probably because they're starting to forget already that this is something that's supposed to make us free. Because there is this way of, you know, reading all these rules and laws and saying, well, we're oppressed again. Um, But there's another way of reading them, and that is getting to the heart of what God is asking, and that is what God is seeking to do, and that is to set us free and give us life.
0: Well, let's remember too that I know we like to say that, you know, these are rules and if we have freedom, we can do what we want, right? But at the heart of who we are as human beings, rules are a part of freedom. Let me give you a couple of course. examples. Yeah. Um, go and play a game of rugby or whatever ball sport you want to play and start running outside the sideline and saying, but I'm running for freedom, That yeah. uh, yeah, I'm yeah. playing for freedom. Start passing, yeah. you know, if it's one of those ones where you can't pass forward, start passing forward And try and tell people, oh, no, this is is freedom. We don't need the rules. We need freedom. No one likes it. The game gets played well when you stick to the rules of the game. Yes. The game flows better. People have more fun. Um, Another great example is um, within the outlaw motorcycle scene Hmm. where um, a lot of people say, oh, outlaw bikers, they're lawless and whatever else. The outlaw biker scene actually has more laws and rules than we do in community. Yes, yeah. they're a little bit different, but yep. I tell you what: you break one of the rules of the club, you'll know about it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this idea that you know freedom is about not having any laws—rubbish. We, we need laws. I mean, imagine if we said, "Look, we're going to be a society of freedom from now mm. on. We're forgetting the police. We're going to deinstitutionalize police. Do what you want."
1: Yeah, no one would yeah. like
0: it. It wouldn't be any fun. <laughs>
1: Absolutely not. So,
0: as a as a people, this idea that we have inside us that oh no, this is oppressive, this is not letting me be free. No, what it is yeah. is not about understanding who we truly are. And mm. you nail it on yes. the head there, I reckon. Um, yeah, and yeah. and what God's, what the the rules that God puts in place through these simple commandments. I mean, through these through the ten, and even through mm. some of the other things. Let's not forget that some of the other things were a part of Israel learning to be free again and may not have been for all time. Um, When you've been living in Egypt where you haven't had to worry about mould and mildew and what it might do to the inside of your tent, um, you're walking around the desert where you're, you know, going to have this issue. You need to know how to deal with it. Mm. Um, When uh, you have, uh, for instance, you know, when the manna comes down from heaven, and God says, now on the Saturday, collect double and then just don't collect any on the Sunday. Oh, and by the way, on the other days, don't collect too much. Of course, these are a people who had to scrounge for what they could get while they're in Egypt. So on the first day, of course, they're going to go out and they're going to collect more than they need and it's going to go off. And so they need to relearn, reestablish what it means. Learning, once of, they learning of
1: moderations.
0: Yeah. And hmm. what, what they realize is that, oh, you mean I only have to go out and get what I need and there's going to be enough there for tomorrow? Now, that is not a prescription for, yes. I'll just buy this many groceries and there's going to be some there tomorrow magically. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking yep. about is a group of people who had to relearn to trust that they didn't have to scrounge anymore and save and store up until things were stale, that there was a freshness every day. And that that's just an example of one yeah, of the ways yeah. that God worked with that people at that time um and so this is a learning and we all need to learn this because we're born into a world that doesn't have any rules and laws and the idea that there will be none and that'll make us happy well it's sort of out the window speaking of happy talk to us about what you made of the psalm
1: mate um well i think it's i think it's just more of what we've actually been saying um this idea that um, happiness is um, is actually found as we follow after God. So all this talk of um, decrees, um, following God with this whole, our whole heart, um, not doing what wrong, walking in God's ways. Um, we're free when we learn um, the righteous ordinances of God. Um, that's what our um, that's what freedom really and truly looks like for us. Um, and, and that is, I, I don't mind that sense of freedom being used, being couched in terms of happiness here. Mm. Um, it, it's probably not the same, you know, happiness that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to jump around laughing all the time. Um, it's not party happiness as much as it's um, a deep, deep sense of genuine satisfaction, I think. Yeah. Um, a Deep, deep sense of meaning. Um, in the middle of this discussion, I want to throw in my most overused illustration of all time, which no doubt I have thrown into this um, yeah. into this podcast many, many times already. Um, but I think freedom is about the environment we are created to be in. Yeah. Um, so if I, um, and this is my illustration, if I go up um, in a plane and catch an eagle. Um, and take it down into the sea and let it go, um, it's not free, even though I'm not restricting it in any way. It, it's just not in the environment it's created to do. And, and the same is, is the opposite. If I grab a fish while I'm down there and take it into the sky and throw it out the plane, um, I'm, I'm setting you free. Um, you, you know, that, that's a crazy, crazy illustration and so ridiculously obvious. Um, but it really does redefine what we believe freedom is. Um, freedom is being in the environment we are created to be in. Yeah. And if there's anything the gospel tells us is that we are created to be in the environment where we love God and love others. Yeah. That is that is our element. That is that is where we thrive. Um, uh, the idea of freedom being I, I can do anything. I can go anywhere. I, I, that, that is not the, um, the way freedom is being used um, in the Gospels. Um, and I think this is, what, um, this is what Deuteronomy and the psalm here are, are heading towards. They're really heading in a direction of saying, you will find safety and security. You will find yourself um, in following the ways of God. Um, and, of course, as we get to the, the prophets, especially, as you said before, um, we find people doing this in a legalistic, um, anti-human, anti-love kind of way. Um, so, they're, they're, you know, they're able to reason to themselves that, you know, technically I'm following the law, um, but the prophets are deeply, deeply dissatisfied with this. Um, they're deeply dissatisfied with this legalistic interpretation of what is um, what are a bunch of um, commands that are supposed to set us free to love God and love others yeah um, and we have this we have this extraordinary potential to make um, even good commands into things that we we oppress with and that is, Really, in many ways, the story of religion—it's the story of fundamental religion. I would suggest.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, th- what you've talked about there literally does help us frame the happy.
1: Yes. Um, yes.
0: That just because we're released to do what we want doesn't necessarily make us happy. In fact, just earlier, I was reading some old material that I'd written. The guy who invented Minecraft uh, wow. sold Minecraft for something like $2 billion or something crazy like that. Oh, and uh, not long after that, on Twitter, he was tweeting some really interesting tweets. Uh, he, uh, By the way, he spent. He went out and bought a $70 million house or something like that and then was just sitting around working out how to use the rest of the money. I mean, that was his – he walked away with that much money in the bank. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the tweets that he started, the tweet and all on after that were really interesting. Things like, I wish people would love me for me, for me, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this idea in his, in what he was going through post the sale, uh, at least for a short time. I haven't heard how he's doing or what he's up to at the moment. But it was actually quite, I've got all this money. I've now got all this freedom. But I'm miserable. Mm. Um, it's not as great as I thought it would be. And the response there would be, well, you know, what is freedom to you? Have a think about that and then think about the idea that you can be as free as you like, but if you're out of the environment you're meant to be in, you're still not free. Mm. And it's when we understand the environment part of it that we understand the fullness of what it means to be happy. Not just we're having a good laugh and everything's going brilliant, but something that's a lot deeper. And the word that's used here, by the way, is esher, which is the same word that's used for blessed. Yes. So we're not talking about a happy, happy, joy, joy, you know, make me happy. We're talking about something where someone can feel, I suppose, content, um, mm. can look at things in a way and, and comprehend them in a way that helps them see where God is in that moment. As I was saying before, that abundance of life of, yes, feeling sad, but still being blessed within the context of that sadness and being able to count one's blessings. Um, yes. The thing that's interesting about this one too, and um, we touched on this um, a couple of weeks ago, I think, where we talked about the word blameless in yes, yes, This word blameless here is a little bit different. The one from the psalm a couple of weeks ago was about walking innocently. This one's about completely. So happy are those whose way is complete. And that rings so true with what you've been talking about. That completeness and that fullness and that soundness of mind and heart happens when we're walking in true freedom. Mm -hmm. And by the way, those who are completely walking in the law of the Lord. And that law of the lord there isn't an oppressive regime whoa, pressed down again this is about understanding and comprehending who you are and what you've truly been created to be and do and the environment in which we sit and able to be and do that and this is why when we're holding bitterness and hate and anger and we're holding on to those things not that feeling them is wrong but holding on to them and living from them, this is why we feel so incongruent because we need to learn to live from love. Now, it's possible to feel anger in love. Um, so I don't we, think yeah. anger worked out in certain ways would necessarily be love. But mm. um, so you can see how uh, we can be happy and we can be complete. And all that constitutes walking in the way, perhaps walking in the law is not the best word, but a way to understand it, but walking in the ways mm. of God um, and, and yes. walking in 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 that way. And you start to see here, and this will continue to happen as we look particularly through Matthew's gospel in a moment, but you start to see here that this is not rocket science. It's actually quite easy. The thing that's hard about it is we want to do it our own way and we want the freedom and the joy and um, the life that we're choosing to look and be shaped the way that I want it to look and be shaped. What's interesting about that is, and from my experience, is when we start to have a look at the laws that are in place in our world, not just spiritually but naturally as well, and when we start to live congruently with the way that the world moves and works, and when I say the world, I'm not talking about humans, I'm talking about nature, we actually start to see what it means to choose life. Living out here in the country for literally a couple of months full time, I'm already beginning to see the importance of things like following the seasons, being in congruence with them, uh, watching the animals and being in congruence with them. All of this stuff actually makes a difference. And I think people who live in the city particularly miss out, I think, on a fullness of understanding what it means to be congruent with God's law. If you could get a grip on what it means to walk in congruence with the laws of nature, I think you'd understand what God's laws are about. Again, not an oppressive regime, but simply a way of being and doing that's already in play in the world that mm. you can resist it all you like, but it's just going to keep going and you're just going to keep being miserable. Mm. And it's not about, hear me right here, And for some might be listening going, well, you just want us to convert to Christianity. No, because the scripture also tells us that God sends rain on, well as the writer calls it, the just and the unjust. Now, I'm not yes. here to suggest that if you're not a Christian, you're a bad person, but God's going to make sure that you get rained on anyway. I don't necessarily see it like that either. But certainly the gist we get from the text is that when we learn to live in congruence with the way the world is and the way that the laws of the realm of God, this kingdom of God, which, by the way, the basis of the law is love, hmm. um, and you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to walk in congruence with love. You can walk in congruence with love without being a Christian, per se. Hmm. Um, but once you start to walk within love, you'll, you'll know that you're walking in congruence with, and this understanding of being blessed, choosing life, being happy, will make a lot more sense.
1: Um, I feel I feel compelled to return to the Beatitudes here, um, <laughs> where where you get this this really um, almost jarring sense of blessedness. If you you know if you're taking mm. blessedness as happiness, you end up you know. Blessed are the poor. Blessed
0: are those, Blessed are those
1: who mourn. Blessed are the persecuted, um, and, and all of those, all of that big wonderful list. This is um, this is really throwing the kingdom of God as or the kingdom of heaven as Jesus is articulating it there in Matthew um, into a into a space beyond everything goes well, mm. Um, mm. And, and it's being done right up front. Um, This is not Jesus kind of throwing that in afterwards, Um, but there is this sense that Jesus is throwing us off balance or our understanding of blessedness um, off balance right at the beginning. Yeah. Mm.
0: Speaking of Matthew, let's cruise into that now perhaps uh, (laughs) because we're there. Um, Matthew is really interesting. This is one of my favourite parts of the Sermon on the Mount. And I love talking to students, particularly about it, because what Jesus does here is he simplifies stuff and yet makes it harder, mm. and I love that. Um, he he breaks things down in a way that helps you realize how not rocket science the gospel is. He really does. So the first one there is, "You shall not murder." Jesus says. Okay, that's fine. You've heard that said, but here's what I'm telling you. Don't call your brother an idiot. Because if you do, you've committed murder in your heart. Then he goes on to say, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But you've heard it said that. But I'll tell you this. If you look at someone and last after them in your heart, that's just the same thing. And then again, uh, do not... Uh, swear falsely, but carry out the vows you've made. And he says, "Look, that's great, but just let your yes be yes and you no be no. Mean what you say and say what you mean." Now, that's pretty elementary, and you could go, "Oh, well, okay, whatever." But something interest two two things that are really interesting here is one: it's a lot easier to not murder someone than it is not to lash out with the, at them verbally. And it's a lot easier not to chase skirt than it is to have a bit of a gawk. And it's a lot easier to um, make all these promises and intentions than just say what you mean and mean what you say and leave it at that. Um, We want to dot the I's, cross the T's, put it in a contract and secure it down. Mm. But Jesus is really saying here, if you scale living congruent with what the world is like we actually wouldn't need murder laws and we actually wouldn't need um, adultery or or rape laws or whatever. And we wouldn't need uh, legal contracts to make sure that you fulfill what you say you're going to do because you just do it and you wouldn't let it start at its seed point. But that's hard. That's hard because no one need no. Right. And Uh, no one technically is going to get hurt except maybe in the, in the third one. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is a great example of Jesus really taking the law. Uh, I mean, two of these three things are in the commandments. Well, three, basically all of them. Um, You've done it, bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, So three things from the 10 commandments right here. And Jesus says, Stop trying to beat around the bush. Stop trying to find loopholes. I'm scaling it right back. Don't even lash out. Don't even gawk. Just say what you mean. I mean what you say. That's all it is. It ain't rocket science. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's interesting about this and very confronting, and I, I used to do this with students and I would always get backlash, occasionally phone calls from parents and no doubt, possibly even emails for this this show. But I would say to them that if you, um, and, and th- this was more in the context of talking about the Ten Commandments, but these sayings of Jesus speak to it. I talked about sin as not being little individual things that we do, but anything that breaches relationship between us and God or us with each other. That's it. If something breaches relationship, it's sin. Not your skirt needs to be, you know, one inch one inch higher and your skirt would be sinful or your hair is this much longer and your hair would be sinful and all like that. No, no. If it breaches relationship with someone, then mm. that is sin. Uh, and what's interesting about that is that when you have a look at the Ten Commandments, um if we do things that breach relationship, then uh, we'll find ourselves separated from the other. Now, love your neighbour as yourself, love God. That's the 10 commandments summed up in two, the first four and the final six. Love love God, first four, final six, love neighbour. Um, and so again, there's this idea that um, in these two, you have the prospect of breaching those relationships through not loving God and not loving your neighbor. Now, this is why I like the term, and I know we're up to that in Matthew, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount yet, but we'll get there in the next couple of weeks. This is why I love the term trespasses in the Lord's Prayer and not sin. Because trespassing talks about encroaching on someone's space. Um, And so sin is doing something bad to someone. But if I even unintentionally step into your space and encroach on your space in a way that is negative on you, then that's a trespass. And it's keeping check of ourselves for our siblings around us, our fellow human beings, and making sure that we're looking out for each other and and keeping each other safe. Mm -hmm. And so this this is where this stuff really starts to all fold together. Here comes the controversial bit. If I were to murder someone, that would breach relationship with them, right? That's a bit of a given. If I were to call someone a swear word and lash out at them and be verbally aggressive towards them, that also would breach the relationship with them. In essence, murdering someone and lashing out with someone from where God sits, is exactly the same. Now, that's not to say that the consequences aren't different and heavier, that's true. But the relationship is breached, which leads us to think about what Jesus is saying here, not so much about specific elements, but trying to set out before the listeners a very simple precept, and that is this, God cares about relationships God doesn't care about rules. The rules and the laws were there to set some sort of guideline. But at the core of it all isn't the keeping of the rules. It's the tending to relationship. The relationship of us with God and the relationship of us with others. So if I steal a million dollars from the bank or I steal a cookie from my mum's cookie jar, then I have breached relationship in both examples. And from where God is looking on it, yes, the consequences are different. Not arguing against that. What I'm saying is in both cases, relationship's been breached and both are as bad as each other. And that's where we have to get off our high horses and stop Mm -hmm. trying to put these individual petty little things out there to try and make ourselves seem better than somebody else. And realize that I breach relationship and hurt my relationship with God and with others in ways that are completely different, but just as severed as anybody else does, no matter what they've done. It's quite simple. Take a bit of string and cut it with a pair of scissors. Um, It's still cut. Whether you cut it with a big pair of scissors, a small pair of scissors, or you go against it with a, a, a butter knife that has no sharpness on it, eventually you'll get through in all three cases, it's been cut and severed. And that's where God wants us to focus. It's not about the rules and the keeping of the rules. It's about making sure our relationships are good because at the core of all this, as we'll hear Jesus go on to say, both in Matthew's gospel and in all the other gospels, is that love is at the center of this whole way of being and doing. Mm.
1: Um there's a really radical point in this at which exactly what you're saying is um, the, the priority of relationship um, is, is put into focus here, and that is the extraordinary um, claim that if you're in the middle of offering your gift to God on the altar, there mm. is a greater priority. Um, so if things have gone bad, leave the gift there go and sort out the human relationship first then come back that is that is such a radical reprioritizing of things i think in the you know in the the legalistic jewish mindset of the time can i jump in for a second
0: it's important to note here that there is no uh, suggestion by Jesus that forgiving the brother or sister and then offering the gift makes the giving of the gift better or worse.
1: Yes. I've yes. heard it
0: explained away like that. Oh, he's just saying yes. that because if we give our gift and we harbor a, a sin, you know, a grudge against someone or they against us,
1: you yeah, know, that's yeah.
0: going to be seen as a bad gift. There is yes. no discussion of that here. It's exactly as you say it. I just want to stress that. Yeah, yeah. This is about tending to the relationship before you go about the ritual and the keeping yes. of the rules.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a very radical. I, I think this would have stood out to the Jewish listeners um, much more than it does to us. <laughs> this would be, I, I think this would be shocking. Yeah. Um, the other thing that really struck me as I read through these was how Jesus, um, Jesus wants to go, as you've said, to the heart matter behind what's, uh, you know, behind the big action that's been, you know, that's been articulated in the Ten Commandments or in the, in the law. Um, Jesus wants to go to the heart matter. And, and so often that heart matter is hidden. So it's not obvious. Um, right. Very much like when, when Jesus gets to chapter 6, um, he he urges our giving, our fasting, our prayers to be things hidden um, and only seen by the God who sees in secret. Yeah. Um, it seems to me there's um, there there's a fairly strong theme here of things that are relatively hidden. Um, so you know, murder is this big um, murder is this big open act that you, you know you can't sort of retreat from really it's a bit obvious yeah yeah um but but then jesus is going actually there's a hidden there's a hidden hatred that leads to this or there's there's hidden attitudes that lead to this yeah um the same with adultery um you know there are hidden attitudes that and and the truth is no one can see these things I mean, you know, if you if you take a glimpse, I suppose someone might notice. But, um, you, you know, there's there is this sense that this is this is the heart, and and right throughout this, there is a sense of the God who sees that which is secret. Mm. I think you could even argue this of the divorce stuff here, which um, which kind of sits in between. And I'm never sure how to break this passage up. It sits in between, um, you know, this discussion on adultery and this discussion on keeping your vows. Um, But, you know, we, we are so prone to think of divorce as the point at which the certificate is signed, at the point at which a court makes a decision and you're But what if this whole passage is actually leading us in a direction that's saying, well, there's a thousand attitudes and small little practices that leads to this, and what if this is what, you know, really gets under God's nose about the way we treat one another, Mm. much more than, you know, just the final moment at which we make it official? What What if this is something that's kind of been going on for a long time? Yeah, um, I, I think that's exactly what is being said here around murder, around adultery, around um, the breaking of vows. All of these, there there are a thousand little steps before it comes to murder. There are a thousand little steps before it comes to adultery. There are a thousand little steps before it comes to breaking a vow, and maybe there are also a thousand little steps before it comes to divorce. Mm. Um, uh, now, I don't, I don't want to say that too black and white because um, I know there are complexities around that for people um, and, and relationships are genuinely complicated things. But, but what, if, what if the direction of all of this is just do the little, silent, unseen things, bring these things to God, um, work on your relationships early and... Um, and these and these big things don't. Well, you will be avoiding these big moments where they, where it comes to the surface. Yeah. And I'm not saying you know these are this. There is a complexity here. There's um, relationships are pretty challenging and always two way. Um, so yeah, you know it's not as simple as do all this and life is blissful. Um, but. Those things hidden in your heart, take care of them. Um, And and that is very much Jesus instructing one side of a relationship. Um, If there are hidden things in your heart you need to take care of, the same is being said about someone else. And you and I can't see or control that. That's right. So by the time Jesus gets talking to talking about, you know, don't judge one another, I think the stage is really set, you know, by some of this early stuff to say there are a whole lot of things going on in you that are hidden. If that can be said of you, it can also be said of another. So you be very, very careful when you presume you see everything.
0: Yeah, I I think just on the adultery thing, which I think goes to your point, um, there is um, an interesting thing here with with the divorce. Um, In the NRSV, it's translated as, I say to you that anyone who divorces their wife except for the ground of unchastity, not adultery. Now, I know the adultery thing comes a bit earlier, um, um, you know, lasting in some adultery in your heart. But when talking about the divorce... Now, I know that some translations would say, um, uh, I say to you that someone who divorces their wife is set on the grounds of unchastity or of, of adultery, as, as causes them to commit adultery. Um, but the word that's used is unchastity. That's incredibly different. Yes. Chaste and being chaste has nothing to do with sex.
1: Yes. This is faithfulness,
0: isn't it? It has to do with faithfulness and yes. fidelity. Yes, and if you are, um, and there are lots of ways to be unfaithful and not show fidelity within the context of marriage, only one of which is adultery. Yes, yes. Um, if and go, goes to your point before about the the complexity of things, and and I mean people have used this as a club verse on people who are yep. divorced. Um. You know, to the point where there are some churches and pastors who've actually taught their congregations, "I don't care if your husband's beating you, stay." No, yeah. that's not what this verse is saying. If your husband's yes. beating you, he's already unchaste. Yes, he is not showing love and fidelity towards their partner.
1: Yeah.
0: And so, at the what end if that of the even
1: goes? What if that even goes beyond the physical? If there's oh, exactly. this mental abuse, um, you know anything any like kind, that. Any kind of abuse, I think there is a space of wisdom and spirit again, um, where we can be saying, actually, this relationship is is looking unfaithful, um, yep. Yep. and and there is good reason for you to be at least considering whether this is a healthy relationship for you to remain in That's into right. the future.
0: The, the point there being is that the grounds of unfaithfulness in all sorts of ways is grounds for divorce, yeah. according to what Jesus is saying here. Like I say, if anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of unchastity and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's understanding. Again, this is another one of those. I, I left that one out before as I worked my way through. But that's another one of. You think it's a big thing, but I'm saying to you, actually it's a lot more simple than that. It's not about yeah, yeah. chasing off after someone else and leaving your wife or seeing someone else on the sly. It's even verbally abusing your partner or, um, you know, stealing money out of your joint bank account or these other things. They are all yes. acts of unfaithfulness, of unchastity. Yes.
1: And at the same time, um, like the act of... Um, You know, sexual unfaithfulness. Um, All of these are things that are forgivable. Yes. So we've got to be careful to make sure um, we don't use this as, you know, I have to divorce, Um, I have to put an end to this relationship. There's actually a a space in here um, where where forgiveness is very real. Um, uh, You know, this unfaithfulness is quite serious. Um, but at the same time, perhaps these are all things that people can negotiate through. I know, I know plenty of people who, um, you know, within their relationship, um, there, there's been sexual unfaithfulness and they've worked through it and found a way forward within their marriage. Yeah. Um, the same, I would hope, could be said for um you know, for physical abuse, for emotional abuse, for all of these things, that there is a, um, a, a place for at least working toward forgiveness. And where that becomes possible, impossible, because it does, because we're dealing with two people um, and, and not everyone is going to take this, you know, this stuff as seriously as you and I are trying to take it today, but... Um, where where that, where that unfaithfulness occurs there, there may be really good grounds to say look um, there's no future to this relationship while you're pers- persisting within this um, wh- what I'm understanding as unfaithfulness. Yeah um, absolutely so so let's okay. let's agree to part ways on this. Um, and, and I know that's challenging I know it's difficult for children and I know it's not ideal. Um, but it, there really is space, I think, within the Bible for us not to be, you know, taking this so legalistically as, you know, so and so. My husband, wife didn't sleep with someone, so therefore I've just got to put up with whatever else comes my way. <laughs> um, unchastity is such a wonderful word. It's such a so sad that it gets such a reputation um, and and gets locked into. Sex. Um, sex. But really it's faithfulness. Yeah. It really is faithfulness. And you can, you, you can I would believe, um, make your sexual um, mistakes and still work on faithfulness. And there are some remarkable relationships around. It. And I'm not saying it's always possible. I'm just saying, um, you know, maybe the Christian story says, Let's work on faithfulness until we really conclude that, you know, this is not working or the other person isn't being, really isn't being honest and there's no future to this.
0: Yeah. Um, And at its core, this passage shares with Deuteronomy and the Psalm that it's not rocket science,
1: really. Yes. Yes. Very much.
0: Um, It's just (laughs) loving God and loving it over,
1: really. Yeah. 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 What about I can really understand. Oh, sorry, I, I, I want to just say that I'm really sympathetic with um, w- with not including divorce in the list that you you know you said murder, adultery, oaths. Um, the wording around this discussion on divorce is quite different, um, so that that repeated you have heard it said is not does not open that discussion. So it's there's some debate as to um, as to whether this is just a continuation of the, of the conversation on adultery. Um, so I, I, don't, I, I think it's quite stunning, actually, um, how it's not opened the same way um, as the other three things that have been discussed here.
0: Yeah. Where does Corinthians sit into, or fit into horses for you? It's kind of an anomaly passage. It is a little in bit, ter- in terms it, of the package of package pa- passages that we've yeah,
1: got for yeah. this week, yeah, yeah. I talk so much about um, incarnation nowadays that I feel compelled to talk about um, the way Paul explains his word use of the word flesh here. Um, Jesus came in the flesh. This is our great story. Um, ends would argue that. Even the scriptures are, are kind of uh, are incarnated in the sense that they're, they're done by people mm-hmm. um, as, as well as by God. Um, so this divine human coming together. And you, there is a way of reading Paul here that, that, that starts to despise, you know, the, the flesh, the body, um, starts to play that down. Um, but the way Paul talks about this is really interesting. So he says, um, even now you are still not ready for you are still of the flesh. And he's, and he's used that word before, um, rather as people of the flesh. But then he goes on and doesn't talk about, you know, you're living, um, you're living this um, bodily life. As much as he as much as he talks about your ego is t- is taking over so for as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations human inclinations gee that's telling about the way he's using flesh and it's it seems to me to be a great shame that we miss this sense of as Richard raw puts so wonderfully he thinks that um, Paul is using this term flesh in a much closer way to the way we would use the term ego. Yes. Yes. So it's this. So it's this. and, And Paul's description is really telling here, because he's not saying the body is bad. What he's saying is this jealousy quarreling and behaving according to human inclinations is what he really means when he's ta- using the term flesh. This is very important because you can't, in a wholesale way, adopt the incarnation as central if you're reading this stuff saying um, spirit and flesh are opposed. oh, But spirit, if, if spirit and, and flesh spirit are part and of,
0: is, Why would God create us like this?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think there's <laughs> there's massive problem, massive problems created as soon as you start to read this. But but what if what if we took Paul seriously here and began to, when we say flesh, hear these human inclinations to um, to look after ourselves yeah. uh, that look like jealousy and quarrelling. Um, suddenly we're in this when we're not in this realm of the body is bad. The physical body is bad, or, or or even the physical is bad. We're actually much more into this realm of the things I do that are not loving are bad and are opposed to the spirit. Um, Richard Raw goes as far as to say he thinks Paul's use of this t- this term to describe our unloving behaviour is very unfortunate. Um, yeah. But I think uh, you know by the time we get even even to this passage, the the incarnation is so well established through the gospels, um, through the you know some of the other writing of the, the apostles. But I think we really need to look at the passage like this and be saying to ourselves, "What is Paul really trying to say? And is he really opposing this very strongly established Christian?" understanding of the world and understanding of God as um, as the the Incarnation is that really what Paul is opposing um, to me it's very sad when people um, end up reading this as a reason to dismiss the humanity of God
0: well, well what's really interesting about it is if you look at that in verse 1 um Uh, He said, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, right? So what's interesting about that is um, Paul um, doesn't talk about virgin birth. And some scholars have put that down to the fact that they believe that Paul's Christology, if you like, is that Paul, sorry, is that Jesus took on the fullness of divinity at his baptism.
1: Right, that, yes.
0: Right? So yeah. um, now I'm not here to argue for one or the other. However, this infants in Christ thing speaks to that very interestingly then because Christ as an infant growing up, um, in possibly in Paul's understanding, wasn't walking in the fullness of understanding who they were as the incarnate Christ. And so there's a really interesting correlation there that Paul's talking about people of the flesh. Is he saying that those people are are ones who um, are not fully understanding the fullness of who they are in Christ, which, again... Yeah talks to the same sort of stuff you were talking about. And if we understand it like that, this takes on a whole new kettle of fish. This is about the revelation to the ways of doing and being, which is exactly what we've been talking about through all the other passages this week. for this week. It's uh, the revelation of understanding that this is the way we find freedom, that this is the way we find congruence with the ways of God, that this is the way... We understand our relationship with others as being more important than the rules and regulations in the flesh. All of those things become in the flesh as in ego. It's about what I do. It's about what I've achieved or flip it. But I haven't done that. I haven't done that much. I haven't gone that far. I haven't been that bad. Whereas understanding the fullness of who we are, we realise that even telling someone off has the capacity to cause some sort of breach of relationship, and therefore cross the line. So the flesh, you know, as you say, bandied around all the time, or the works of the flesh. But if we understand it as Raw and some others have said, as understanding it as um, the the ego or the shadow self, um, and not understanding it as the understanding of the fully divine, or to use the term of of, uh, uh, a great spiritual director here in Brisbane who talks about the me and the I, the me being the one who doesn't understand the fullness of who they are in God, and the I not just realising it but finding everything that they need and their fullness in that, of course the me is going to argue the law because that will help them get away with stuff of course they're not going to understand happiness and blessedness coming from the travesties that happen in life as well as all the great stuff they're not going to understand that by keeping the structures of these rules i'm going to find freedom but once they let that go and live out of the I who rests completely in knowing that they're loved and they're cared for and they're embraced by god and that's all that matters, once we start to live out of the I, this other stuff becomes irrelevant. And that's why Paul moves on to talk about the whole, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Paul. You know, that's the me speaking. That's the, Paul baptised me, who baptised you? Or, you know, I sat under the teaching of this Bible college teacher, or I sat under that lecturer, or I went to this mega pastor's church for X, Y, Z amount of time. whatever it is. And then he goes on to say, well, what is Apollos? What is Paul? We're just servants. Yep, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. This is not a me exercise. It's not an ego exercise. It's not a flesh exercise. It is a being in Christ exercise, being one In Christ exercise this is about Mm. the eye and I accepting not just their relationship with God but with all the other eyes in whom they are in Christ with as one
1: Mm. Um, I think there's a growth theme throughout this passage as well Mm. yes Um, so you have uh, I could not speak, speak to you as spiritual people but people of the flesh as infants in Christ. Infants in Christ, one would think, is um, at, at least saying in Christ. Yep. Um, it, it, this is, again, one of the dangers of um, dualistic language, the, the spirit and flesh as, as you know absolute opposites. Paul is talking about these people being on a continuum here much more than he's talking about opposites. He may say, look, you're on the... The more infant end of, you know, the spiritual maturity journey we want you to go on, but uh, and and may even use the term flesh there. Um, but you're still on it. Um, oh, and of yeah. course, by the time, as you were saying before, by the time we get to the end of this, um, we are God's servants, God's field, God's building. Um, field is all about growth. Building is all about. Um, you know this continual growth. Um, I, I think there is there's elements here that probably should be fairly encouraging, even while Paul is pointing out the um, the ego elements that are raising their head in this community. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's there's a lot for them to go away and think about and say. Actually, I'm on the path. Maybe that. Um, self-centered jealousy and quarreling maybe this these divisions aren't really um, aren't really the path but I'm still on the path and I can grow in this um, there's actually reason for a whole lot of encouragement I think for the Corinthian people to hear here yeah. um, rather than just this you know you're of the flesh, you're of the spirit, the two never come together. Um, rather, um, these people, even as Paul is saying, you're behaving in the flesh, he is saying you're on the right path. You're on the path to maturity in Christ, even if at the moment you're, you're infantile in that. Um, you're, you're heading in the right direction.
0: Well, I mean, let's be honest, If even if... Jesus didn't have a full understanding of who they were and what they were about until the um, the, the baptism. Um, he was no less who he was and who he was called to be. So yes. that it makes yeah. absolute sense that you you can be an infant and yet still yeah. fully yeah. enveloped in Christ. What you need to do is you need to grow up and see fully yes. who you are in Christ. Um, and so there's there's yeah so there's that sense the there. growth
1: the growth of Jesus across his life the the sense of discovery um, of, of Jesus across his life the, the needing to hear from God the voice from heaven, um, gee it makes such extraordinary conversation. <laughs>
0: well, this <laughs> to, is why I love. But, but
1: it is such good news that God, that Jesus comes into our world and is so human that he grows and learns. And this is this is why
0: I love uh, the novel Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Jesus' childhood power. Yes, yes.
1: Um,
0: for that very yes. reason, that yes. the, the Jesus in Lamb yes. goes through his childhood and his um, teen, well, right through to the age of 30, his adolescent yeah. years, struggling to work out, I think I'm of God, but am I of God? Or, you know, what's what's happening here? And, oh, I performed this miracle, but w- how did that happen? I don't know, but yeah. how do I control this? Um, I mean, and I know look, it is fantasy. Um yep, it's not of course. Of course. the gospel, but it yep. does give you a really interesting insight into the humanity part of mm. who Jesus was. Jesus didn't just sort of, you know, we read Jesus in the temple at age twelve. Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? I'm like, Yes. <laughs> as if as if Jesus would be just yes pouting against mother and father there. If anybody knew that, you know, you honour your mother and your father, um, it would be Jesus. Um, but that's what makes, you know, when Christopher Moore writes about that particular event in Lamb, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's, I think, if I remember rightly, he's asked, well, why did you say that? He said, I-, I don't know. just felt like it was the right thing to say, and I just felt such at home there, but now I don't know. Um, and, you know, we, we forget this mm. about, about Jesus, which mm. is what makes the readings this week even more powerful. This idea that it's not rocket science. Here you have this person who's fully God and yet fully human, um, trying to model for us what it means to live that full divinity and full humanity so that we can yeah. live in our full divinity and our full humanity. Try to scale it back to something as easy as it is to say it's not rocket science. Um, it, there's a lot to ponder, a lot to yeah, ponder. Yeah. And if and if you're preaching this week, gosh, oh, I wouldn't be well, I wouldn't well, be listening to this show beforehand because I'd be like, what
1: am I going to do? <laughs> well, maybe you can do what we've done and go Chat for a how a conversation. long we have and do all have over
0: coffee. The sixth Sunday after Epiphany, Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 15 to 20, Psalm 119 verses 1 to 8, 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 to 9, Matthew 5 verses 21 to 37. In the show notes, you'll find links to everything Mark does, everything I do, everything we do together. Send us an email. That's down there as well. Tell us what you're seeing, what you're hearing, how you're thinking so that we can grow into these things together. There you go. We're done.
1: Great to see you, mate.
0: You too, mate. And Plenty until for next me to week. Think it. Oh, boy! Oh, boy! <laughs> I think the three quarters of next week's show is going to be what stuck with you from last week.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. At this no, rate,
0: yeah. until we see you for next week, folks. Take care. Bless you this coming Sunday, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Between Two Sundays. Bye for now. Yeah.